And now, if you have your Bibles with you, would you please turn to 2 Peter chapter 2. We're getting close to the end of our, we're on week 10 actually of our eight-week series going through First and 2 Peter. <laughs> we're getting there. And it's been talking about the idea of that, you know, we as the church, we're a people that are different from others. We don't, we, we don't fit in really. We're kind of that weird kid that was always wearing the camouflage pants at school. You're just a little bit socially culturally different than everybody else. And the natural tendency for us is we all want to be like everybody else that's around us. But the faith that Jesus has called us to is drastically different than the way the world lives. And so Peter's writing encouraging to live different because we are the model of the kingdom of God. We are the best example and representation that others will get of what it is that Jesus has to offer them. We're the only Bible that most people will ever read. So he's saying you need to stay strong and he encourages the church and tells them how it is that they can live out the culture of the kingdom of heaven in the culture of death that's all around us. And now Peter, actually in chapter 2, he's not teaching on a kingdom ethic anymore. Now as he's starting to wrap everything up, he turns his attention to false teachers. He gives a warning to us. And false teachers, I mean, if you're new here today, I know some churches, like, all they do is talk about false teaching and heresies and all that stuff. We're almost three years old, and this is the first time we've brought it up, so understand I'm not the crazy guy with a YouTube channel that condemns every pastor that's doing everything. But uh, I remember the first experience that I had with a false teacher. It was second grade. I was in Mrs. Butterfield's class. I remember her to this day because uh, she was a lovely lady, and I really liked her. But, um, you know, it's, it's funny because... When I was a kid, you didn't really do a lot at school. Anytime there was a holiday coming up, you had to spend a couple days just getting ready for the party for the holiday at school. So it was one of the days, it was just an all-day decorate, make little snowflake cutouts from cardboard and make little paper chains that you hung on stuff and sew popcorn together and poke your needles into your hands. And we're doing all that stuff, getting ready for the Christmas party. And one of the other students, a classmate of mine, came and said, hey, Mrs. Butterfield says that you guys need to go outside and you need to decorate the little spruce tree that's outside our window. I'm like, all right. And so you know, we go out in the hallway, we put on our boots and our snow pants and our mittens and our hats, realize we all have to go to the bathroom, take all of our snow gear back off, go to the bathroom, put it back in. So an hour later, we're finally outside and we're decorating the tree. We're having a great time. We're doing a good thing. And then the window flies open. And Mrs. Butterfield is just letting us have it. She's like, what are you doing out there? Will you guys get back in here right now? You could have been killed. You know, she's just screaming at us. And we're confused. Like, Mrs. Butterfield, you told us to come out here and to do this. She's like, I never told you to do that. Get in here. And she didn't even let us go back around to the door. She pulled us in through the window into the classroom. And she put all of our names on the board. And I was, I never had my name on the board to this point. I cried because my name's on the board. I'm in trouble. And, and so I'm like, what happened? And I'm like, Mrs. Butterfield, you know, Katie told us that we were supposed to go out there and to do this. And she's like, why would I ever tell you to go outside unsupervised without an adult on your own? You could have been kidnapped. You could have been hit by a car. All these other terrible things that could have happened to us. It's like, oh, man, someone lied to me. But you know what? I trusted her. She was one of my classmates. If she'd just been a total stranger that said, hey, I want you to go outside, I'm like, no way, you're crazy, I'm not doing that. But because it was someone I knew, because it was someone that was a, a part of my class, 
I just trusted this person. I went out with good intent in my heart. There was no evil. There was no malice inside of me. I wasn't trying to do anything wrong, but I did something wrong, and I put myself in danger without ever knowing it. You see, the people that we trust, the people that we know, the people that are part of our tribe are always going to be more able to lead us astray than someone that we don't know. That's the way that it was for the kingdom of Israel. The big problem they had wasn't that all of the other religions were coming in and influencing, and that was a problem that they had, but the main problem that they had was that these false prophets would rise up and tell them things that God said that God never really said. And they would teach them things that were contrary to what it was that Scripture taught them. And they always presented something that sounded better, something that was easier, something that was more culturally acceptable than what it was that God had revealed to them through Scripture. It was always something that sounded more attractive. If you ever looked at the diet fads, you think, how can anybody think that by eating only bacon and cutting out all fruits and vegetables <laughs> that you are going to lose weight, lower your cholesterol, and have better cardiovascular health? <laughs> Why do people believe that? Because if we just tell you, hey, you need to eat right, you need to diet, you need to exercise, it's a lot of hard work, but if you stick with this over time, it's going to give you good results. That doesn't sound as good as us eating bacon and sitting on your couch. So people listen to it because it's attractive. It's something that sounds easier. It sounds better to you. So I'm going to go with what this person says. And that happened all the time with the false prophets. I love one of the stories of the kings of Israel and Judah. They're hanging out. They're drinking together. And they're like, hey, let's go to war. Let's, let's go conquer someone because that's what kings do when they get together and they drink with their buddies. And the one king, he's a little bit smarter. He's like, well, maybe we should consult a prophet of God first and see if this is a good idea or not. And so they bring in all of these prophets, and they're like, oh, you're going to be so victorious. You're going to destroy all of your foes. They're all going to be vanquished before you. No one can stop you. And the one king, he's like, well, yeah, but do we have any prophets of God here? And they're like, no, you don't want to talk to them. He's like, there's one guy, but he's nothing but bad news. He's Captain Come Down." He's like, well, I want to hear from the prophet of God about this. So they go and they get the prophet of God and they say, hey, are we going to be victorious in battle? And he sees all the other prophets and what they're saying is like, yeah, yeah, you're going to go out there. It's going to be great. Have a good time. And I'm like, no, tell me honestly, truly, what is it that God says? He says, you're going to die. <laughs> Another king's like, see, I told you he's got nothing but bad news. Get rid of him. Lock him in jail. And so they decided, well, we're going to ignore this. It sounds better. I like the other guys who are saying we're going to be victorious, and we're going to expand our territories and all that stuff. But the one king who called for the prophet of God, he's like, just in case, I'm going to hedge my bets. I'm going to dress someone else up like me. I'm going to send him out in my chariot, and I'm just going to hang in the back dressed as a common foot soldier. <laughs> so they go out there to war. They're completely routed. And he gets hit with an arrow, just a stray arrow, and it wounds him and kills him. He should have listened to the prophet of God. But why didn't he? Because what the other prophets had to say sounded better. False teaching always sounds better. It always sounds easier. And it's not, I mean, you're not going to have someone that's going to come in and say, hey, I'm into witchcraft. Why don't you be into witchcraft? And you're like, yeah, that sounds great. Sign me up. You're going to listen to the people who are like you. And so this is what 2 Peter says in his warning about false teaching. He says uh, in chapter 2, verses 1 through 3, 
But false prophets arose among the people, just as there are false prophets among you, and they will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them, bringing upon themselves swift destruction. And many will follow their sensuality, and because of them, the way of truth will be blasphemed. And in their greed, they will exploit you with false words. And then he talks about what it is that God's going to do to these false teachers, and it does not go well for them. We're going to pick it up in verse 14 through 22 where it says that these false teachers have eyes full of adultery, insatiable for sin. They entice unsteady souls. They have hearts trained in greed, accursed children. Forsaking the right way, they have gone astray. They have followed the way of Balaam, the son of Beor, who loved gain from wrongdoing, but was rebuked for his own transgressions. A speechless donkey spoke with a human voice and restrained the prophet's madness. For those of you who remember the story, an angel was trying to kill him, and the donkey saved his life and talked to him about it. That got his attention. And they are waterless springs and mist driven by a storm. From them the gloom of utter darkness has been reserved. For speaking loud boasts of folly, they entice by sensual passions of the flesh. Those are barely escaping from those who live in error. They promise them freedom, but they themselves are slaves of corruption. For whatever overcomes a person, to that he will be enslaved. For if after they have escaped the defilements of the world through the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ, and they are again entangled in them and overcome, the last state has become worse for them than the first. For it would have been better for them never to have known the way of righteousness than after knowing it to turn back from the holy commandment delivered to them. What the true proverb says has happened to them. The dog returns to its own vomit, and the sow, after washing herself, returns to wallow in the mire. That's a memory verse for everybody. For those of you who are parents, you've kind of had that experience to give your kid a bath and they're filthy again instantly. But what Peter is saying is like, look, there will be false teachers among you. That's the first warning that he gives in this chapter. It's going to happen. And he's not making this up. He's actually echoing what it was that Jesus said. Jesus said, watch out that no one deceives you, for many will come in my name and they will deceive many. And if Jesus gives us this warning and it's echoed by the apostles, then it's something that we really need to listen to and take heed of. But what do we do with warnings? We ignore them. If any of you guys ever taken a sip of coffee you just got and it burned you, and you're like, oh my goodness, that was hot. Well, the lid says, warning, contents are hot. Every single one of them say that. That warning is always there, but then when we ignore the warning and we're burned by the coffee, you're like, I can't believe this. What just happened? The Titanic, one of the most tragic things uh, that happened in maritime history. Did you know there were five warnings that were sent to the Titanic telling them there are icebergs in the area, you need to be careful? Five warnings, and yet they still hit an iceberg and sunk. It's because they thought, that doesn't apply to me. This could never happen to me. None of us ever think that we're going to be led astray. None of us ever think that we're going to... Uh, accept false teaching. And that, that combo of arrogance and ignorance in our life can lead us to just complete and utter ruin. See, the question isn't, are there false teachers? The question is, what is it that they're teaching? Am I able to recognize false teaching when I hear it? Because if you can't do that, then you will end up being led astray. And the only way that you can recognize false teaching is if, number one, you are studying your scripture. 
It is so incredible that God has left us his word, that he's left us the standard for truth, the way by which we are to live, God's revealed will to us. Everything that we need to know about the way God has called us to live and doctrine and truth that we believe is confirmed in Scripture. If you hear someone teach something that doesn't line up with your Bible, don't believe it. They are going to take you somewhere that you don't want to go. And not only do we have the Bible, but we have the gift of the Holy Spirit. And what does it say the Holy Spirit's going to do? He's going to lead us into all truth. See, the Holy Spirit, the one who inspired the writing of all of the Scripture, is now the one who resides inside of us, bringing Scripture to life, leading us into all truth. And here's the thing, when the Holy Spirit leads you into something you think is truth, you can check it in the Bible and make sure. Because, let me tell you, sometimes my spirit has a pretty strong voice. And there are times when my spirit is telling me things or my ideas, I think, man, this has got to be God. This is definitely right. And I'll check it out in the Bible. I'm like, oh, no, that was my stupid spirit again. When the Holy Spirit speaks to you, it's always in agreement with what he's already spoken through the scripture. So if you want us to continue to know what truth is, to grow in truth, to be able to recognize false teaching when you come up against it, which you will, Jesus said we would, and the apostles said we would, We have to, number one, have a knowledge of what's revealed in Scripture, and we have to have a relationship with the Holy Spirit where we're recognizing Him speaking to us, His promptings, His leadings, and then also checking those leadings with what He's already revealed in Scripture. If you're able to do those two things, then you are going to do all right. You're going to recognize the false teaching when it presents itself and to reject it. But here's what false teachers do. They secretly bring in destructive teachings. They do it secretly. No false teacher comes up and says, hey, good news, I'm a false teacher, and I want to lead you away from the truth and shipwreck your faith and all of your families, and then I'm going to use you to help me lead even more people away from the true faith. If they did that, it would be really easy. Like, get out of here. I don't want to listen to you. Go home. You're drunk. But They come in secretly. And what that Greek word says is it actually conveys the sense of someone who comes alongside of you. Someone who befriends you. Someone who builds a trust with you. And then after they've built a relationship, they've built a trust, they seem like, yeah, these people are solid. They're teaching a lot of good things. Then they begin to slowly inject things that are false. Now, when I was in college, there was someone that, uh, would come and speak at our chapel as they were local, and I, I, I really love this guy. I was like, man, he's such a great communicator, and he's so talented, and all of these things, and his teaching was just so, like, it spoke to me, and just the depth and the revelation, the way that he could bring scripture to life just blew me away, and I thought, I want to be like that someday. And then I remember a few years after that, I read one of his books, and in the book, he said, what if Mary wasn't a virgin? What if Jesus had a dad and his name was Larry and through DNA evidence we were able to confirm that this was in fact Jesus' father, that it wasn't you know, conceived of the Holy Spirit, that it wasn't a virgin birth? Does that really change our faith? He said, no, that shouldn't change our faith because is Jesus still the one that we should follow in the best way to live our life? Everybody's like, oh yeah, that's true. I guess if this one thing isn't right in the scripture, then that doesn't really change our faith that much. But you see what he was doing was he was saying, if scripture can be a little bit wrong, does that really change anything? 
And people are like, well, no, I guess not. That doesn't really change anything. So you, you take a little bit of a step away. Say, okay, so there can be some fallibility in Scripture. It might not be exactly right. It might not be God's revealed truth. There can be some human error inside of it. And so you've stepped a, a little bit away from the foundation and the truth. And then a few years later, he writes another book. And in this book, he says, is hell real? Well, Jesus taught on hell a lot. So, if Jesus is talking about hell, and they say, well, they always have historical evidence they concoct, like, well, you know, when they were referring to Gehenna, it was really referring to a trash dump where they burn trash, and so it's like, you know, you'll go to this trash dump, and it's like a refining fire. Well, the historical evidence is bunk. The first record we have of a trash dump outside of Jerusalem being burned was recorded by a monk a thousand years after Jesus walked the earth. But that made more people like, well, okay, Maybe the human authors and the intent of it was, was not quite right. So I used to believe, here's the Bible, it's my foundation is scripture, and then he moved me over here where, okay, there might be some error into it. Well, if there's some error into it, this part could be wrong too, and so I'm farther away from it. And then just recently, in the last year, he came out and said, hey, look, if you're making your arguments for what you believe the Christian ethic is and how we've been called to live, and you're basing that on a 2,000-year-old letter referring to scripture, then you're irrelevant. You see what he did? Starts out right here, teaching the Bible, giving you truth. Starts making you question it a little bit. You separate yourself from it. Makes you question it a little bit more. And then gets to the point where eventually you're like, well, I can't trust the Bible. That's not really how God's revealed his will and his truth. Now, if he'd come up and just said, hey, don't listen to scripture. We can't base the way that we live our Christian life on scripture. Everybody would have said, you're crazy, you're a heretic, and nobody would have listened to him. But if he starts out looking like he's just like you and just slowly injects a little falsehood, slowly injects a little bit more, eventually he takes you to the place of where he can lead you completely away from scripture. And he has an entire movement following him because he just did it a little bit at a time. He came alongside us and slowly just started questioning, slowly just started injecting truth. I'm sorry, injecting falsehood. And that's what they do. They secretly do it after they've come alongside of you. And that's why it's so important. And I remember when that first book came out, talking about the virgin birth, and because the theology class is like, well, actually, if it wasn't a virgin birth, then first of all, scripture is entirely wrong and I can't trust anything, but also there's no salvation for my soul because he couldn't have been a perfect sacrifice, all this stuff. So theologically, if you understand it, we'd all be in really bad shape if there was no virgin birth. But for most people, you just think, yeah, that, that can be all right, that can sound okay, and he just gradually, slowly leads you away. And this is the people they target. It says that they entice unsteady souls. The word entice actually refers to the way that someone would bait a trap. Now, if you're out there and you're trying to uh, catch a fish, you don't just throw a hook in the water. You're not going to catch anything. You have to put a worm on that hook, something that appeals to that fish. They're baiting a trap so that they can catch you. And then when it talks about... Uh, Unsteady souls, what that's referring to is someone that is lacking firmness. It's like a table if you have uneven legs on it and you put something on it because the unsteady legs is just going to flip over, things are going to slide off of it. And those unsteady souls are often people who are new Christians because you just made a decision to follow Jesus. You haven't had time to mature in the Lord, to have the regeneration of your mind occur. You're a brand new baby Christian. And so what someone says, you believe. I could tell my son that every morning I go out there and I put the sun up in the sky and at night I get it back down and he believed me. 
Why? Because he's three. He hasn't had a chance to mature yet, and he believes me because I'm his dad. And so a lot of times they target people who are new Christians, or they target people that haven't grown in their faith. That's, they're like wolves. They're referred to as wolves in the scripture. And wolves always target the newborns. They target the sick. They target the weak. And one of the other people that they like to target is people that are struggling with, with doubt or with other questions that are going on. And having doubt and questions, that's part of the, the Christian experience. And we don't have all the answers. There are things that we just don't understand. Having doubts and having questions doesn't mean that you're less of a Christian, but what it does mean is that you're a target for the enemy. He recognizes you as someone that it's a more opportune time now for them to attack you. I mean, Satan even operated this way with Jesus. After he's been out fasting for 40 days and he's really hungry, that's when he comes and says, hey, you want some food? And that's a time where Jesus is going to be really susceptible to wanting food. But after Jesus resists him again and again, it says the devil departs and waits for a more opportune time to come back and tempt him. When you've gone through a tragedy or where there's some question or some doubt that's come up in you and you're trying to wrestle with this and sort through that, that's an opportune time for the enemy to come in and to begin to tempt you and to begin to offer you an easier answer to the question that you have begins to offer you an answer that doesn't require faith in what it is that God has revealed through the scripture. And this is what else they do. They appeal to the flesh. False teachers appeal to the fleshly desires that are inside of you. Like greed, sensuality it says, acceptance, pride, you name it. All of the things that are the things that Jesus has saved you from, those are the things that false teachers want to lead you back into. And they'll try to package it by misusing scripture. They'll give a historical context to it that's completely wrong. And they'll continue to appeal to that flesh. And uh, one of the great examples of that, like I should probably, I was planning on giving you four examples and it's 1052, so we'll do one. <laughs> so, prosperity gospel, you guys have all heard of that, right? Yeah. It's pretty big right now. So, what they do is they say, Jesus wants you to be rich. And that all that you have to do to be rich is to give me money. Because they say that it's like the principle of sowing. Whatever it is that you sow, that you're going to reap a harvest from that. And you see them a lot on TV. Uh, because you've got to be prosperity gospel if you want to be able to be on TV because it's expensive to get on TV. So what they say is that if you give this money into this ministry, the Lord's going to bless you ten times over. Some of you are in debt right now, so whip out your credit card and, and make a, an offering to this ministry, and the Lord's going to forgive your debt. And what they're doing is they're appealing to materialism. Do you guys like money? I like money. If you don't like yours, you can give it to me. Money is something that appeals to us. So when you hear that God wants to make you rich, you're like, I kind of like that. That sounds good to me. It appeals to my flesh. And then they will misuse scripture. They'll say, well, you know, in Malachi, God says, bring in the full offering to me and I will pour out more blessing on you than you can possibly contain. Well, let me ask you, what are the blessings of God? It's not just money. In fact, as I look through scripture, there are very few instances of people that were blessed with great prosperity financially. But what they say is they're trying to frame it. They use this verse and they misuse it by saying that these financial blessings God wants to pour out on you. 
He said that he wants to make you rich. And all you got I mean, God says it right here. He's going to pour out more blessing on you than you can possibly contain. But if they've already been appealing to your greed, then the way that you're going to view the blessings that God's going to give you is all through the greedy lens. So you're going to say, I'm going to get me a Bentley. Lord's going to give me a private jet. I'm going to get a better house. All of these sorts of things. And so you go out there and you give and you give. And then they'll use historical evidence. So it's one of my favorite things too. Is they say, Jesus was rich. Jesus wants you to be like him. He's the prototype of how we're supposed to live our lives. Jesus was rich. And you know how we know Jesus was rich? Because the soldiers were gambling for his tunic at the cross. Nobody gambles for a junk tunic. So it must have been a fine tunic. And people are like, oh, that's true. I never thought about that. Why would someone want a tunic that's not very nice? This must have been silk or maybe even gold. Jesus must have been rich. Well, they forget. It's like, man, soldiers are bored. They gamble over everything. And then, not only that, but this is a time when most people had one set of clothing. One set of clothes. So if you have an opportunity to get another tunic, you've doubled your entire wardrobe. And if if you have junk and he's got junk, it's the same quality as you've got, you've still doubled what you've got. This is what it says about Jesus. It says that he didn't even have a home. He had no place to lay his head. He was born into a peasant family. He was supported by women. Which at that time was like, what, seriously? You can't even support yourself? You have to rely on women to support you? He was like the 30-year-old blogger living in his Paris basement before there were even bloggers. Well, that's what he was. He was a peasant. Jesus was not rich. But they have a a misconstrued historical context into which they put it. Then they'll always give you their experience. Well, I used to be poor. But this is what I did. And the Lord has blessed me. He's going to do the same thing for you. Well, you know how you got rich? It's because you told everybody a lie that if they gave you money, that they'd be rich too. What you call the prosperity gospel, the government refers to as a pyramid scheme, and it's illegal. There's only two levels to your pyramid, you and everybody else. But it's an enticing thing. It's a false teaching. Now, God will bless you. I absolutely believe that. I believe in provision. You know, when it's talking about Malachi, this is what the Bible says. That if you tithe and you honor God financially with the first fruits, that first 10%, it says that he will rebuke the devourer and that he will pour out more blessing on you than you can contain. And this is the way that it happened for the Israelites when they were in the desert. God didn't give them a single dollar bill while they were out there walking around the desert. But what he did do was he made it so that their sandals, it says that the straps of their sandals never broke and the soles never wore out. For 40 years walking around in a desert, their sandals never broke. And it says even their clothes didn't wear out. They wore the same clothes and the same sandals for 40 years and God miraculously provided for them and kept it going. That's a miracle. It might not be the miracle you're looking for. Lord, give me the 40-year sandal blessing. But it was a miracle. Prosperity looks like this, that God's going to pour out peace in your heart. He's going to pour out joy inside of you. And this is what I believe. When it comes to finances, there are some people that God has blessed mightily. When you look at Abraham, God said, I'm going to make you rich. And why did he say he was going to do it? So that you can bless all the nations of the earth. There are some people where God has poured out great financial blessing on you. And hey, we're Americans. That's most of us. But there are some people, he just pours it out in excess, it seems like. But he's done that to use them as a conduit through which to distribute it to those who are in need. The blessings God pours out on us aren't for us, they're for others. 
So don't be led astray by false teaching. And there are more false teachings out there than I could ever go through. And uh, maybe I'll go through a couple of them at some point, but we do not have the time for it today. But here's what I want to end with, is that they promise freedom, but they bring slavery. A false teacher will always look like they're going to bring you freedom. They're going to open up something new beyond the restrictive prohibitions of Scripture and the way that God has called you to live your life. They'll give you some new understanding that will enable you to indulge in the appetites of the flesh that are inside of you. You think that you're going to have more, that you're going to be free. But every single time, it will make you a slave. They promise God's blessing without obedience. They promise you life without dying to yourself. They promise you the desires of your flesh instead of the desires of the spirit inside of you. And if you're not careful, they will lead you into this teaching where you will be ensnared and you will become a prisoner. It says you will become a slave. It says, in fact, that if you go, in, go from knowing the righteousness of God and then you go back to a point where you're living at the desires of your flesh because you've been led astray, it'd be better off if you had never even known the goodness of God. Because what happens is you become even more of a slave now than you ever were before. Because it does something to your heart. It says it sears your conscience. Because you were over here like, yeah, I, I went to church, I did that God thing, I, I lived this way, but you know, now I'm living like this, and then you just figure out I'm still a slave, and so you view like there's nothing that can be done for me. I've tried it, I've experienced it, and this isn't the way of life. And you will continue to live forever in death. And that's why Jesus and the apostles gave us this warning. Because there are false teachers amongst us. If you're looking for some, go to any Christian bookstore. You can find it. Check out a blog, watch a TV show. I mean, even, even I'm here amongst you guys. Guys, you need to not just trust something because your pastor said it to you. You need to say, Holy Spirit, is what he's saying true? And yes. check it out with scripture. Because yes. Yes, I can sit here and tell you that I would never, ever mislead you. But that's what a false teacher says too. And I hope you do trust me. I hope we do have that kind of a connection. But I don't ever want you to get to the point where you never check what it is that I'm saying with Scripture and checking it with the leading and the prompting of the Holy Spirit. That's what we've all been called to do. But here's the good news. It says that despite the fact that all these false teachers are going to pop up and they're going to lead so many astray, it says that God is able to deliver the righteous. And it says that God is able to bring freedom to the captive and to the slave. And so this morning, what I want to close with is by saying, here's the real gospel. Here is the true teaching upon which you can build your life. This needs to be the cornerstone, the foundation of everything, is that there is a God who loves you, and he loved you so much that even while you were living in sin and you were far from God, he came and he laid his life down for you. 
He shed his blood on the cross. His body was broken. He was dead. He was buried. Three days later, he rose again to new life forevermore. And that when we put our faith and our trust in him and say, Jesus, you truly are the Son of God. You are the Savior. You are the Lord. And I put my faith in you for my salvation. I put my faith in you for the forgiveness of my sins. And I'm going to live every day of my life from this moment forward following you living not to please myself anymore, but living to please you, obedient to what it is that you've called me to, putting my faith in you, entrusting my future to you, even when I don't understand, even when it doesn't make sense, even when I have questions, I'm still going to put my faith and my trust in you. And he's going to see you through this life. He's the author and the finisher of your salvation. And he will meet you here. He will put new life inside of you, a life that will never die and you will grow in relationship with him. You will know the very real presence of God in you, and he will lead you into prosperity. He will lead you into blessings because those are his plans for you. And he will always preserve you, and he will give you the ability to recognize false teaching when it comes so that you won't be ensnared and you won't be trapped because we have the God who leads us into all truth. We have the God who is truth and he will always deliver the righteous. you guys stand with me this morning? And every Sunday, it's so important that we just take a moment and just say, God, what is it that you're saying to us now? God, would you search my heart? Would you know me? And would you speak to me if there's anything that I need to change in my life? What is it that you want to do in me? So just take a moment. Say, God, speak to me. This morning, I feel like the thing that God's really speaking is that he wants to strengthen and to firm up some unsteady souls. So you might be someone who right now, there have been falsehoods that have been brought to you and you're questioning it, you're wondering about it, you're trying to make a decision as to what truth is in an area. And it might be that you're unsteady right now because, because of this question that you're trying to wrestle with or because of this doubt or because you're a new Christian and it's so countercultural to the way that you have been living and viewing life that it's become a place where the enemy now is coming and attacking and bringing false teaching. And if that's you this morning and you want God to come and to strengthen you and to bring firmness to your faith, would you be bold enough just to raise your hand and say, yeah, God, that's me. I want you to bring me strength. I want you to make me steady. I want you to work that inside of my life. Thank you. God's here to meet with us this morning. So let's, let's just pray. God, would you be my strength? God, would you build my faith in you? God, would you give me peace? Holy Spirit, would you fill me fresh and new today so that you can lead me into truth? God, I pray that I would clearly hear your voice in this situation. Lord, that you would lead me to scripture that will reveal truth to me. And Lord, that you will give me the strength to believe you even when I don't understand. 
to believe you through the questions and through the doubts. Trusting that your ways are good, that you are the God who is just, and that you are the God who is love. And God, build my faith in you and build my love for you. And God, I pray that you would remove this burden from me and put your peace over my soul. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.